There's a major shift that occurs in the book of Genesis, a moment when the book seems to turn all of a sudden to an entirely different topic and, and speak in an entirely different way. And that shift occurs in the very first verse of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Up until this moment, Genesis has been telling a universal story, the story of the entire world, of its creation and, and of the beginning of the human race, of humanity's descent into sin and God's judgment upon the earth, of the, the fortunes of the human race after it emerges from the ark and begins to multiply once again. But now, all of a sudden, in these opening words of chapter 12, now there is this dramatic shift of focus. And the book of Genesis is no longer, it seems, a book of universal scale or, or, or cosmic scope. Now, all of a sudden, it's a story about a single man and the fate of his particular family. As the German scholar Gerhard von Rod once put it, the transition from primeval history to sacred history occurs very abruptly and surprisingly. Previously, the narrative concerned humanity as a whole, man's creation and essential character, woman, sin, suffering, nations, all of them universal themes. Now, as though after a break, the particularism of the story of Abraham begins. It's a strange thing, this transition. And it's one that continues for the rest of the book, from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 50, the focus of Genesis remains on this one man and his family. So that's what we'll be talking about for the next nine sessions of this study. We'll be discussing this man Abraham, or Abram, and his children, and what they have to teach us about who God is and, and what it means to be in relationship with him. And in this session, we begin with Abraham himself, or as he's called for the first five chapters, Abram. Abraham has long been revered by both Jews and Christians alike. In the collection of Jewish rabbinic teachings known as the Talmud, there's a fascinating little passage that talks about Abraham's death. It doesn't have any real basis in historical fact, but it does give us a a clue, an insight into just how much the rabbis revered this man. Here's what it says. On the day when our father Abraham passed away from the world, all the great people of the nations of the world stood in a line and said, alas for the world that has lost its leader and alas for the ship that has lost its pilot. Now, maybe that sounds exaggerated, but it's an attitude you can find even within the Bible itself. In Jesus' day, the, the great boast of some Jewish leaders is that they thought of themselves as children of Abraham. Jesus disagreed with them on whether or not they were genuinely Abraham's children, but he didn't suggest that they were wrong to venerate Abraham as they did. Elsewhere in the New Testament, such as the letters of Paul, we we find Abraham lifted up as a model of faith. And in the letter to the Hebrews, in a chapter that recounts some of the, the greatest of the Old Testament heroes of faith, 
Abraham is given significantly more attention than any other person. Abraham, the, the great pilot of the ship of God's people, the father of faith. Over the next several sessions, we'll be talking about the story of Abraham as it's told in the book of Genesis. And following the example of these New Testament and later Jewish writings, I'd like to think about Abraham as a model, a model of faith, a model of what it means for a human being to live in relationship with the living God. And in this session, we're going to focus our attention on the call that Abraham experiences from God and what it has to teach us about the way of discipleship. And the first thing that we learn is about this call is that it requires Abraham to give something up. Before he can follow God, he must first renounce and leave behind life as he knows it. And notice how chapter 12 begins. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abraham is told to, to go to an unknown land. But in order to do that, he must first leave behind his country and his kindred and his, the house of his father. Genesis doesn't elaborate in very much detail what that life is, what it is that he's leaving behind. We do know from the verses that precede chapter 12 that Abraham's father, Terah, migrated with his family to Haran, which was an ancient Mesopotamian city in what is now modern-day Turkey. Now, later on in the book, or later on in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, we also learn that Abraham's family were practicing polytheists, as were probably almost everyone in this Mesopotamian city. They worshipped a variety of gods. And although Genesis doesn't really say anything about it, it's safe to assume that Abraham participated in that religious life. Now he's being told to leave all of that behind, to leave the home his father had worked so hard to build, the people that he has come to call his own, and the gods that he's been taught to serve. All of that he must now renounce. All of it he must now leave behind. And in that way, Abraham's life of faith is really quite similar to ours. For as Christians, we too are called not not just to embrace a new way of life, but to renounce an old way of life, to leave behind things that we rely on or we have relied on for comfort and safety and security. Isn't that what Jesus said when he called people to follow him? Didn't he tell them to leave their nets and their responsibilities to the dead and their occupations, to leave it all behind and follow him? And isn't this exactly what Christians today are still called to do? If you've ever participated in an Anglican baptismal service, you'll know that before, before they're baptized, candidates are asked to make declarations of their faith and, and their intention to follow Jesus. But they're also asked to make renunciations of the life they leave behind. It's a series of three questions. Do you renounce the devil? and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Do you renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of this world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? 
Do you renounce the sinful desires of the flesh that draw you from the love of God? And to each of these questions, the person being baptized simply responds, I renounce them. Of course, God does not pose these questions to Abraham, and his renunciation isn't exactly the same as what is asked of us. But the same pattern is there. Being in relationship with God requires that we give something up, that we let go of a life before or without God, that we renounce the pleasures and the, the empty promises that we cling to apart from God. That's the first thing we learn from Abraham's call. But of course, we can't stop there because Abraham isn't just told to leave behind old pleasures and empty promises. He's also told to do something else in its place, to, to go to a land that God will show him. And if you think about it, that's really a rather strange instruction. Why, why that? Why is Abraham told to go to a strange and unknown land? It's not exactly a very specific set of requirements. Centuries later, when God makes a covenant with the people of Israel at Sinai, he gives, them, he gives them this whole long list of instructions on how they should live and what they should avoid and how they should dress and how they should worship. But here with Abraham, there's none of that. No Ten Commandments, no specific instructions about what he should eat or, or what to wear or how to live. Not even a basic command about loving God and loving your neighbor. In fact, Abraham isn't even told exactly where he's supposed to go, just that he needs to leave and head out to some unknown place, and God will show him later. And for many of us, that doesn't seem at all familiar with our experience. We often think of the call to follow Jesus, the, the call to be a Christian, as an invitation to observe a specific set of rules and commands about what we should do and and how we should pray or worship, and what kind of television shows we should watch, and how our kids should behave. And in many ways, that, that's understandable. Like I said, God, God does later give his people a lot of specific instructions about how they should conduct their lives. But here in the example of Abraham, we learn something very foundational, very important about the life of faith. At its heart, Discipleship isn't about a set of rules or commandments. At its heart, discipleship is simply a call to trust in and to follow a person, the God of Abraham, the man Jesus Christ. As the famous German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, what is said about the content of discipleship? Follow me, walk behind me, that is all. Going after Jesus is something without specific content. It's not a general law. It is rather the exact opposite of all legalism. Again, it is nothing other than being bound to Jesus Christ alone. It's easy to forget this, and, and, and that's why Abraham is important, because he models what the life of faith really is. Not a life filled with rules and regulations, but a life of simple trust in and obedience to the voice of God. Follow me. That is all. But, but you might ask, 
what is, what is it exactly that Abraham is trusting in? On what? We're talking about him as a person of faith. On what does he actually set his faith? It's not the instruction to leave Haran behind. And it's not really the instruction to go. That's what Abraham does. But it isn't what he's trusting in. No, what Abraham trusts in, what, he, what gives him the confidence to pack up his belongings and take his wife and nephew and set out on this grand journey, it's not a command, it's a promise. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. God promises Abraham three things, a land that will be a future home, a nation who will come from him and to which he will belong, and that he will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Those are three distinct things, but in many ways, they're all part of one great promise. And for the remaining decades of his life, as he wanders around the land of Canaan, as he experiences war, and famine, and grief, and joy, family strife, and, and moments of crisis and celebration, and everything that follows, this promise is what Abraham clings to. This is what enables him to keep moving forward. This is the, the object of his faith. God made Abraham a promise, and Abraham chooses to believe it. And in that way, he becomes an example to us all because that's really what the life of faith is, isn't it? To be a Christian, we must be, we must be willing to renounce and leave behind those empty promises and deadly deceits of this world. We must be willing to follow Jesus and obey his words. But in order to do that, we must first trust the promises of God. At its heart, that, that's really what discipleship is all about, a command to follow attached to a promise. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But this was the standard practice of Jesus. He, he told people to follow him. He called them to obey him. But first and foremost, he gave them a promise, a promise of a future home and future rest, a promise of welcome and forgiveness and healing and freedom. And just like Father Abraham, for us, the life of faith is a matter of trusting in those promises, even when they're still in the future. You know, Abraham, Abraham lives the rest of his life without ever seeing God's promises fulfilled. At times, he's given glimpses of them. In chapter 13, the Lord gives him a, a visual of the land that he's promised. But, but Abraham himself, he never really experiences the gift of that land. It's always in the future. And later, through the birth of Isaac, he gets a glimpse of the great nation that's to come. But that's all it ever is, a glimpse. And I think that's very significant because later in the book of Hebrews, we're told that this sense of anticipation, of, of looking forward to the promise of a future beyond what we can see, 
that this is in fact true of the lives of all of those who live by faith, who, who think of themselves as strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That's exactly how Abraham lived. And it's how he died, always looking forward to this promise of a better country. And that's one of the most important lessons that we can learn from his example. For Jesus calls us the same way that the Lord called Abram. He asks us to leave behind these false promises, these deceits of the world, to obey his word. And he asks us to do that by trusting in his promise of a better country, a final home, a city that's still yet to come. Abraham, in Genesis, Abraham trusted that promise. He got up, he left Haran. He followed the voice of God. The question is, will you? Thank you.